Hi guys, uh, the episode that you're just about to listen to is generously sponsored by our affiliates, Board Game Crate. Board Game Crate uh, provide a monthly subscription service where they get fresh new games delivered straight to your door. Just head over to www.boardgamecrate.co.uk and furthermore, if you use our discount code UnluckyFrogIsAwesome, all lowercase, all one word, you'll get a cheeky little discount. It's easy to remember because it's true. Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Porter, joined by my co-host for this evening, Mr. Tom Mannering. Hello. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been one of those days, uh, shall we say. But um, we, we have a guest this evening. We are joined by Elaine Lithgow, producer at DigiSprite and freelance writer for Cubicle 7. Hello. How are we doing, Elaine? Good, good, good. It's been a long day, but we're here. Yeah. Looking forward and to having some it, good chats. Yep, yeah, and it is Friday as of recording, so... It is. Yeah. So thank you really for having hard. me on, on a Friday night. I know. We're such party animals, aren't we? <laughs> we have very busy social lives, but we've, we've managed to fit you in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, were, we were totally going out, you know partying like a couple of crazy kids that we are but we uh saying you're living that weird podcast life yeah that's it so uh let's talk a little bit about the news because uh be being the 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 sad basement dwellers that uh that we are uh, tom and myself were not aware that there was any news but elaine just before we started recording you were telling us that um there's been a, a, I guess, an unfortunate development at Kickstarter HQ. Yes, it seems that they've um, let go three of their staff who were um, seem- seemingly pivotal in some form of attempt to form a union at Kickstarter. Okay. Um, now, the official report, of course, is that Kickstarter, they did not let these people go due to their union affiliations, but... As of as of recording, they haven't actually given a statement as to why these people were letting go. Which, given HR, they're probably not going to say why. But obviously, it's no. got people talking um, about you know workers' rights, etc. In that that company. Yeah, and it's uh, of of course um, there w- without getting too much into the, the political side of it. There, there's definitely a a, a sort of cultural. Uh, aversion to unionizing within the US, isn't there? So it's not as if it's as as much as we love to uh, to dish the dirt on Kickstarter on this podcast. It's not as if it is a problem necessarily specific to them. No, absolutely not. And you you only need to throw a stone anywhere online to find there being calls for unionization across like the wider games industry uh, in video games and everything as well. There's there's definitely people wanting it and lots of other people opposed to it so 
Always so, seems to be a bit of a dirty word, doesn't it? Union, whenever you, whenever it's brought up in an employment sense, employers don't want to hear it. Because I think the, it's it's like you you say union and immediately, uh, there's there's definitely a, a a little group of people that whenever you mention union, they think of like Karl Marx and, <laughs> <laughs> and like the Russian Revolution and all that. You know, it's they they lump all of that in together it's it's all the same as far as they're concerned and it's all there to actively destroy their way of life i sort of imagine that uh, employers see the union as kind of the spanish inquisition from the monty python sketch you know just kind of <laughs> bursting in <laughs> for me oh. i think it's always this weird uh, the thing with unions is that um the average sort of member of the public you only really hear about unions when they're strikes like unions yeah. are only ever mentioned in conjunction with negative things. You, you know, people aren't singing the praises of the the day-to-day support um, and things like that that unions do when things are going well. Their names are always synonymous with ooh, problems and strikes and the unions are demanding this and the unions are demanding that or whatever. Um, so I think it's quite easy to, to demonize the concept when the reality is probably a lot more benign on a day-to-day basis. I think so. I mean, and the the fact that these discussions are taking place is again indicative, uh, I think, of of Kickstarter's growth, isn't it? That it's a company that's of a size now that that people are are, are talking about the need for something like that. True. Um, and uh, I, I I dare say this is probably not the last that we're going to hear of it, uh, given how quickly word spreads about. Um, stuff that goes on uh, at Kickstarter. I think it's definitely bad press for Kickstarter though, regardless of, of whether or not there's truth to it, which I suspect there is some truth to it, but to have yeah. that go up, you know, the three people that were highly involved in founding a union have, have been laid off together that's uh, it's pretty suspect. I hope that at least some good comes out of it for them because again, the, the, this is the thing right, where um, if you want to get rid of an employee in uh, the UK, for instance, there has to be due process, right? You can't, you can't just go, right? Pack your desk, you're gone. Um, I mean, you could do that, but you would get called up before a, a tribunal, inevitably. But you, you can do that in America, and it, it's be- because, unfortunately. It is a country where workers' rights are pretty much non-existent. Mm-hmm. But I think that Kickstarter are probably going to find themselves under quite a bit of pressure to uh, to do something about this, given that they are an international company. I mean, although like we're we're talking about their their headquarters, their head office, uh, and and really there. They, they only have to adhere to uh, New York law, which is where it's based. They, um, the, their public image is massively important to them, especially with them being a, a company that, that is wholly dependent on the internet. Uh, I, I think that um, I think they're going to be taking quite a bit of flack for this. Their public image as well, um, even though they are now a very large company, their public image is very indie oriented like their their front pages and the way they do their videos and everything um they try to 
come across as a very approachable and kind of down-to-earth company and things like that. So when sort of bad press like this starts to sting them, you know, what is, what's it going to take for them when their public image and their practices clash? Uh, what's the result of that going to be? That That's quite a common thing, that I think, with a lot of uh, American tech companies now, though, isn't it? You know, presenting themselves as this sort of benign, quirky hippie type company you know like uh you know like the you, you see like the, the the pictures of the google offices and the employees are going down the slides and like they're eating quinoa in the cafeteria and all that <laughs> but then they're they're doing like some of the most egregious stuff behind the scenes yeah i think it's just it's just a way they go in it unfortunately in this day and age yeah it's there's, there's something especially predatory about doing that though you know like elaine's saying kickstarter you know, like, oh, we're the quirky, you know, new start company and we're going to help your company. And and then they're just firing people because they they don't like them trying to Unionize. bring about any reform. Not the most positive news to start with, is it? <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit on no. the downside. No, it's not. So uh, I hate to be on a bit of a downer, but yeah, that's that's the news. Woo. Debbie Downer here. <laughs> yeah. Um, on, on a slightly lighter note, that there is something I was saying to you, Tom, and it is Kickstarter related actually, but it's this isn't Kickstarter's fault. Um, I f- I forgot to mention it in the the podcast last week, and it was um, I got an email from Steamforged Games informing me that I will shortly be receiving my stretch goals for for the Dark Souls game. Are you excited about that? Really not. Um so for for anyone that doesn't know the the Dark <laughs> the Dark Souls game shipped 2 years ago and they're only just now rolling out the the add-ons and stretch goals for it. It's uh, it's pretty much a a weird sort of horses bolted type scenario. Um, I, I've actually I was, I was saying to Tom I've actually sold my copy of the game. Oh no! <laughs> so, um, I I'd, I'd actually forgotten that I was eligible for this stuff, <laughs> and uh, I, I mean I'll, I'll I'll probably just I'm you know I'm not I'm not gonna kick up a stink or anything about it, but it's um. It's it's far from what uh, Steamforge needed given recent events, but I guess it's better late than never, isn't it? Did they give a justification as for the two year delay? Was it? Um, I I haven't seen an outright justification for it, but uh, I I know that they have a lot of very unhappy backers on their hands uh, for various reasons. Uh, I mean, uh, Tom, you you backed the. Um, is it the uh, critical role? Yeah, yeah. Back the the critical role minis. They were they were a little bit light, uh, late, but um, the main complaint was the quality in the the early uh, releases. But then they did address a chunk of that. Yeah, and it, we were saying earlier as well. It's so strange given how strong they started with Guild Ball, isn't it? I'll tell you. I, actually, I'd say that I do have a gripe with them. Um, that you've just reminded okay. me of. Um, so I get a monthly model from them. They do a Critical Role Mini a month uh, in resin. Uh, okay. And I always buy it because it's always a limited release for the month. And they've started... Now, bear in mind, this is a UK-based company. 
um, they've started increasing the pricing on the Postigen packaging on it. Now, I think when I first got them from them, the Postigen packaging was around £3, maybe £3.50. Um, yeah. I think the most recent one, the Postigen packaging, was about 6 quid. It's the same same size models. Nothing's changed, but there's almost like a something like 75% markup in the Postigen packaging. Um, and there's been a lot of people kind of commenting on their Facebook, you know, why is there this massive increase in, in postage and packaging, especially in the UK, where you're posting it internally. Like, what's what's the difference? I can post some recorded delivery for less than six quid. Um, mm-hmm. Fair enough, they've got the boxing and the padding, but it shouldn't really come to that much more um, to have that much of a high cup in, in the postage and packaging cost. So that is my my recent bugbear with them. I'm sure they're farming it in on postage and packaging. <laughs> Just rolling in that postage and packaging cash. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly not aware of any recent price hikes with uh, Royal Mail, but maybe it's um, a sort of preemptive measure for Brexit chaos. But that wouldn't affect internal post, would it really? And I mean, the thing, what I think it is, is I'm wondering if they don't want to increase the price on the models. Um, so they're increasing the the price through the postage and packet. Um, so they can still say, "Oh, we're selling the model for, you know, twelve quid, thirteen quid, whatever it is." Um, but then they're they're up in it. So I mean, you're paying, including postage and packaging, just shy of about twenty quid for one model now. What what, what do you reckon, Elaine, as our industry insider? Um, maybe if you were to speak to Director Robin, she'd be able to give you more information. <laughs> I feel I feel like. When we were um, distributing our first Kickstarter Doomsday Bots, I'm pretty sure that you get, um, in essence, like a Royal Mail account, um, and you put all of your parcels and everything through there, and then it gets priced up, and then you essentially get an invoice from Royal Mail, rather than having to pay um, per parcel type thing. So uh-huh. there is every chance that with the the looming shadow of Brexit on us that maybe international shipping has hiked to such a point that the majority of their shipping has increased across the board um, and we're just feeling it in the UK as a result of them essentially spreading the cost, like trying to yeah. even no, it out. Might be, yeah. But it's entirely speculation on my part and I have no insider yeah. knowledge to that particular. Yeah, I... Um... I'm sure someone will suss it out eventually, um, but that's uh, it's a bit disappointing to hear. But we're 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 no stranger to being disappointed by Steamforged at the moment, are we? <laughs> really bashing on them, but yeah, what can you do? We're we're really going to be bumming all of our listeners out, aren't we? Like trashing these, <laughs> trashing these companies. <laughs> screw oh. Kickstarter, screw, screw Steamforged games. It's all over. Yeah. yeah. Sort of apocalyptic picture we're painting of the industry, but um, let, let's let's move on to uh, a cheerier subject. Um, let let's talk about Elaine. I am. Um, Elaine's been up to the best subject to talk about. There we go, uh, and so modest as well. I am. I'm so <laughs> um, modest. Yeah. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, you're currently producer at uh, Digisprite, which is your your own startup. Yep, it's uh, myself, Robin, uh, who's the director, and Sam, who's the lead designer. Um, yep. We started up um, a couple of years ago now, um, primarily focusing on board games. We do like board games. We do like, yep. we do like board games. It has been said. <laughs> um, 
our first game we took that onto Kickstarter, that was Doom Saybots, and that was all successful and good. Um, you can buy you can buy that now um, <laughs> from our store. Oh, it's it, it's out, is it? It is, yeah. You can oh. you can buy it from our store. You can um, you can still probably follow links through Kickstarter if you're so inclined. Um, we're on to our second game now, uh, which is Adventure Mark, um, and that's just been picked up for publishing by Hub Games. Um, so that should be coming out sometime next year, around about sort of June. We're aiming to have a, a launch for the UK Games Expo next year for Adventure Mark. Very nice. And we'll be moving on to our next game because the the Digi Sprite train never stops. There's always there's always board games to make. There's always ideas a brewing. Great. So and the um, Adventure Mark was a bit of an unusual one because it was on Kickstarter, but it is no longer. Yeah, um, it's an interesting story with that one. Uh, so after Doomsday Bots, we, we were quite happy with the crowdfunding model. Um, it's really nice to be able to go directly to your directly to your, your players and things. Um, mm-hmm. So we put Adventure Mart up, did all the Kickstarter and everything. Um, and then we went off to the UK Games Expo. Um, and when we were there demoing the game, because um, we like to have a stall. Um, this year we were selling Doomsday Bots because that was it. We also mm-hmm. like to, it's like a great opportunity to just play test your game. Uh, expos and things like that, you'll get you'll get like like 60 odd games with uh, people from all around the world coming to expos, so it's really great. Um, and then we ended up uh, just, just talking to different people and we got talking to Rory uh, at Hub Games and uh, he was just you know, very, very excited by the game and the prospect and stuff and they literally were just like, would you be interested in in us publishing this? And we were like, oh, hey, that would be cool. <laughs> uh, so we ended up actually cancelling the Kickstarter because we were about, we were about two weeks in um, and we were all looking good. We were on track to, to fund etc. But um, mm. it didn't, didn't feel right to continue to ask people for money um, when we would have a publisher and things like that. Um, and also, yeah. like having multiple versions of the game out in the wild, like a Kickstarter version, but then a version that goes to publisher and everything. It'd be a bit weird. Um, so, so yeah, we ended up cancelling the Kickstarter, but everyone was was very chill with it. I think most people are just happy to see the game getting the wider release that it deserves. I, I think I think as well, um, it, it probably re- reassured not not that um, an independent publisher is going to produce an inferior game but certainly when you're going through a publisher there's that extra layer of quality assurance isn't there yeah there's certainly we've learned a lot um just from like working with with hub games already and um, there's always a degree of back and forth because you're trying as as hard as you can to hold on to the artistic vision of your game and um, mm-hmm. when there are you know uh, like a, the original version that we put out on Kickstarter had uh, playmats. For context, the game's essentially about uh, the, the high concept is running a convenience store in a fantasy world. Um, <laughs> so it's all very, very kind of fun, sort of anime-inspired slice of life thing. Um, and part of the original pitch was that we would have each player would have like a big player board that was their shop and things like that, and you'd put your cards down. Um, in various slots and everything. Um, but it was one of the first things when we spoke to Hub Games, and they're like, well, you don't need these. They're just kind of... Uh, they're like an extra thing, like, 
you know, they're they're a nice little bit of art, but they don't add anything to the game, but they add a lot to the price um, and the bulk of the box and everything. So we could get rid of these, reduce the size of the box, reduce costs, make it a little bit more uh, friendly and things like that, and a little bit lower price point so more people can buy it. Um, and it's the type of thing we're like, yeah, that's that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, you know, comes from Kickstarter is very, uh, you know, the, the the projects that tend to do well. There's this illusion that it's the big games that come with all the extra stuff, big box titles, more things, more things, stretch goals. Um, so it's very refreshing to hear a voice saying, actually, no, you know, it's it's okay for it to be a smaller box game things like that yeah. so um so all little shifts like that happen as the game's like uh changing over the last couple of months but there's not been any anything major but you learn a lot it's, it's all to the good that it, it, it looks really nice actually the adventure mark like you were saying it's that sort of anime chibi style mm-hmm. artwork that you've gone for so it meshes quite nicely with the the theme actually yeah, thank you. it's uh for, yeah. for anyone who loves anime or animal crossing um, yeah, Adventure Mart's got that that art style. It's 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 fun because the art style is one of the things we always hear is that it's very approachable, but the gameplay yeah. can actually be very savage. <laughs> oh, wow. um, it's uh it's it's got that uh, good card game granularity to it where um you know you you can it's 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 capitalism right. You're you're running convenience stores and trying to uh, sell the most things to the most customers to to beat the other convenience store. Um, so uh, so it's I find it I find it great fun to have that. Uh, the, the art style is very very cute and approachable. But sometimes when people sit down to play, they're like, "Oh, I like this. I can I can I can do things." It's not all everyone holding hands and singing "Kumbaya" as rainbows go overhead. I can. Um, <laughs> It's savage. Yeah, it can be. It can be. Yeah, and it's we've now had uh, both ends of the political spectrum represented on the podcast. Nice <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. sense of completion there. Um, but currently, um, as you were saying before we started recording, you are very busy working for Cubicle Seven, aren't you? I am. Uh, yes, I was originally uh, brought on freelance writing to write for the upcoming Age of Sigmar tabletop role-playing game. Um, so that's been that's been good fun. That's been great fun. Um, yeah. And I'm now also, since Cubicle 7 got the rights to Wrath or Glory, um, the 40k tabletop RPG, um, I've been writing a lot for that as well. So lots of, lots and lots of writing into the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, and and you you were saying that um, Cubicle Seven have a bit of a recruitment drive that you were told to mention. They do, they do. Um, yes, so Cubicle Seven are quite good at um, hiring people, um, freelancers in to um, write for adventure modules and sometimes bringing on to like core books and all that sort of thing, depending on mm-hmm. um, how you're doing. And they're currently looking for freelance adventure writers. Or Rather Glory, um, is I believe the current thing, um, and uh, they're they're great people to work with. Like I had a good time. They gave me my first um, sort of break. Um, I'm I'm by far and away not a a super seasoned 
adventure writer. I don't have screeds and screeds of books to my name, but uh, Game mm-hmm. Seven, like you know, t- took me on, took a chance, and it's working out so well so far. So um, certainly give it a shot. Yeah, it's it's always quite nice to hear, isn't it, of of uh, companies and Cubicle Seven is quite a, a well established one actually that that are taking a chance on new talent because it a lot of the time when you're trying to get started and this is a problem in any industry you you get um confronted with that um the old adage of oh we need someone with more experience and it's like well how do i get experience if no one's going to give me a chance to accrue said experience that's the that's the great big problem especially with things like freelance work and writing and everything it can be very very difficult to get your mm-hmm. foot in the door um for me it was uh, a very sort of simple thing with Cubicle 7, they've got a good system where they'll take a couple of, I believe it's two pages, writing sample you've got, so give them two pages of your work and, you know, fill in some the CV and all that sort of stuff and uh, the team will sit down and read through it and chat a little bit and see how things go um, so that there you are folks so how how did you kind of get into to freelance? What kind of drew you to to going that way with it and going with RPG writing in particular? Well, in terms of like what got me into the RPG writing, I mean that's mostly just like being a, a lifelong tabletop RPG nerd. Um, so I've always been sort of like forever GM. So writing campaigns, um, writing adventure modules, all these sorts of things were something that I've done in my spare time for a long time, um, and. Uh, always running games and people saying like oh wow you know this is like uh, there was a period of time where i think it was like roll 20 and uh, they have this thing of like you know professional paid gms and things like that mm-hmm. um and people are always like oh you should totally be like a paid gm and all this kind of stuff um it's like no no that's that's ludicrous um <laughs> but writing <laughs> writing adventures that other people can run now nah. um was was very cool, um, and I'd uh, sat down and done things like uh, worked with Savage Worlds was one that I really fell in love with, um, which for those who are not aware, it's like a tabletop RPG sort of open system, uh-huh. uh, similar to like GURPS or something like that. It's kind of here's a basic framework, homebrew to your heart's content. Um, so I I ended up smashing a bunch of modules together and making a post-apocalyptic superheroes uh, game and running that and I wrote rule books and homebrew stuff and everything um, and I did that I must have written that about four years ago now um, but an excerpt from that was one of the things I actually supplied to Cubicle 7 as like a writing sample to show hey I can write fluff but I can also write you know here's some rules for this homebrew system and things like that so that's that's part of what I was kind of interesting. So, do you do you do a sort of more fluff, or do you do rules, or is it kind of a combination of the two? And how much control do you have over that when you're freelancing it? Uh, for me, again, I can only speak for working from Cubicle Seven, so sure. it may not be for everyone. Um, for me, I write a bit of both because I've been um, working in games and things like that for a long time. Um, I'm I'm very well sort of experienced with all these sort of trying to find that mesh between fluff and rules. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. With Cubicle 7, they very much... They they 
put out the call for Age of Sigmar and it was for adventure writers. Um, and I got in touch and that was cool. They're like, okay, yeah, we'd like to bring you on. Um, and I'm writing the starter set has an adventure in oh, it. Okay. So I'm writing, okay. I'm writing part of the starter set. Um, and also a um, adventure module that's essentially coming along with it, a separate adventure module. But when I was when I was writing away with these things as well, they were also like, okay, so we're looking for someone to write some uh, bestiary entries. And I was like, I'll, I'll put my, my hat in the ring for that one. I'll write some bestiary entries. And then before I know it, I'm, I'm writing all the, the chaos gods and followers of chaos <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff in there as well. Um, and just sort of moving on from there. So with Wrath or Glory, they're like, okay, we really liked what you did with the bestiary entries on Age of Sigmar, so how about taking the war gear section with um, Wrath or Glory? And they're like, yeah, sure, I'm writing a bunch of that stuff. And, and then moving on to writing archetypes for Wrath or Glory as well. Um, and then now coming back full circle where they're like, okay, we're looking for more pitches for adventure modules for Wrath or Glory and more adventure modules for Age of Sigmar and everything. I'm like, okay, cool, so let's go back to this. So it's, it's kind of like a fluid thing. There's not necessarily a hello, mm. you are the person who writes about the guns. You sit mm -hmm. over there and write about the guns. You are the person who sits and writes about the adventures. It's it's quite a sort of fluid thing. Yeah. It's all done. So the, the, the Warhammer worlds have got fairly substantial followings. Um, and I think it's fair to say that as far as like fandoms go, uh, expectations have never been higher for them. And we've actually seen some uh, some quite negative examples of of how that can go i'm thinking particularly with like the star wars franchise mm. do do you do you feel uh quite a heavy burden of expectation on you because you're approaching uh, an existing ip as opposed to something that's your own i would say it's probably about half and half so i have the benefit of being a long-term games workshop fan um like mm -hmm. the thing that actually got me into wanting to make games in the first place was playing Mordheim um, back when I was a teenager. And uh, like I actually wrote uh, an article that's on the Cubicle 7 page right now just about like how I got into making games and everything, and it was Games Workshop titles. So on the one hand, I feel that pressure to do good and to do things like factions justice, um, sure. because I'm also a fan. Um, I've seen interpretations of Warhammer 40k that I've not been like super on board with. I'm like, you see a, an animation or a description and you're like, that's not how a bolt gun works. <laughs> come on, it's supposed to be a self-propelled micro-missile that penetrates and then explodes. It's not a machine gun, you know. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so, you know, having it's like having one foot on either side of wanting to do very well and do justice to these things while also being utterly terrified of being one of those people who the fan base turn around and go, you are so incredibly wrong. I suppose it's a yeah. tricky a tricky line to walk, really, being both a consumer and a creator in that sense. You know, you're, you're buying into your own product in a sense, but I suppose it gives you an extra sense of investment as well to do right by it. Um, and you sort of... Uh, I'm I'm lucky as well because uh, you don't write in a vacuum with these things either. Um, there mm -hmm. is like a, a collection of writers um, on Age of Sigmar, Wrath of Glory, um, and we all sit there and discard and 
we sort of fact check each other's work and, and sort of bounce ideas off each other and everything. Um, so there's definitely you know that sort of that that sort of thing where you're getting support through it. Um, there's not many occasions where I really worry. I think I think the entry I had the most anxiety over recently was writing all of the, the sisters of Sig not sisters of Sigmar. It's just a battle. There we go. You can tell it's late on a Friday. Night. <laughs> um, but like uh, Sisters of Battle were one of those factions in 40k that have kind of been dear to my heart, and I know they're very dear to the wider community because for the longest mm. period of time they've not really had much in the way of official support on the tabletop. So I've always felt like the tabletop RPGs are the places where people can play with these characters and explore them more. Sure. Um, and luckily enough, the sisters are finally getting plastic sisters after all these years, finally getting them. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm writing about like you know, the different archetypes within you know, the Sisters of Battle and things like that. And I'm like, oh man, these are going to be looked over and their their text is going to be copy-pasted and it's going to go onto like wikipedias and <laughs> and used all over the place and if i make any slip up people are going to be having lore arguments about me and they're going to be like yeah. no no it was said in this book that they do this or that or whatever um i think so there's really really go mad and just put something completely gonzo in just to see if it <laughs> <out>. <laughs> it's like you're, you're you're basically avoiding at all costs the fate that matt ward has um, I think it's that they they've absolutely crucified him on the the one d four chan website. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing is that you can you can put down your your absolute best work, um, but when you you never know what's going to happen with your content once it goes out into the wild. And there's always I, I've always got this sort of running argument in the back of my head of like authorial intent, like. What I write and what I think I'm writing about is could be very different from what um, it's interpreted as, um, and and then before you know it, there's people having flame wars over <laughs> over things <laughs> or or burning effigies in your name. Um, yeah. But I highly doubt anything like that be uh, would happen. There is a good approval process, and as I say, yeah. there's there's the writing circle, and then it goes off, and uh, GW has the final say on on things before it goes out the door there's it's it's unlikely you'll find me um uh, strung up in a <laughs> in a games workshop forum anytime soon i like to think yeah I, ho I hope so and it's the just when you're talking we're talking about matt ward and these poor people that that write for existing ips that the thing that that i'll as soon as anyone mentions him that i always think about is that cartoon that was bounced around the internet for a while of a blood angel and a necron having a fist bump. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was not a popular man for that uh, particular uh, addition to the 40k chronology. So you mentioned there, Elaine, that when you, you do the adventure side of things, you pitch the idea for the adventure. So does that mean you sort of get to decide the overall plot of the adventure and then take it further, or do they sort of direct you on that so the way it's worked with cubicle 7 so far um i've had two sort of experiences uh, the first one was uh writing for the age of sigmar and they're like um okay cool so we have this setting we have these like overarching um sort of like the, the plot of the main adventure um and things like that 
Uh, so here, go for like some some like side quests, side adventures, mm. or uh, an adventure that like ramps into the main book and things like that. Um, so that was a little bit more constrained in terms of obviously things need to things need to happen mm. um, in or at least certain touchstones need to happen and. There's like a shared pool of, say, characters or whatever. So if somebody's writing about uh, the leader of, um, of like a freehold or something like that, obviously when you're writing your module, you need to make sure you don't contradict any of that. Hmm. Um, so it's definitely it's like a collaborative effort. I don't I don't sit by the forge and and build this meticulously perfect story and then leap force slam it down on the table and say <laughs> it is ready. And then they go, no, it's wrong. <laughs> Um, it's it's a very iterative back and forth process. Um, yeah. yeah. With the so, Wrath or Glory stuff, it's, there's a little bit more freedom with that, and just with being, um, sort of like 40k in general, you know, you can there's there's an entire solar systems to run around in, um, mm -hmm. and that's very much more just a, hey, we're looking for, um, they just tapped a bunch of their writers that we've got on staff and saying like, hey, so uh, any ideas? And then it's like, oh, cool. So I've got this idea for an adventure. I can't say anything about it because it's all under NDA, but it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's cool. And I, I tend to essentially put down... Because for me, again, thinking about it from a consumer, I guess, whenever I see a splat book for a game, there's two things I'm looking for. A cool adventure and cool content I can rip out of that adventure um, and use elsewhere <laughs> with um, Wrath or, or Glory or whatever. I might be like, all right, okay, cool. So, here's this this very cool adventure that's based on, uh, say, a Mechanicus world, um, and it's going to be this cool thing. But then we're also going to include a bunch of additional Mechanicus archetypes, mm. yeah, things like that. Disclaimer: not necessarily something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, uh, good to get that out there. Um, these are just yeah. I'm just throwing this down on the table. But you know, it's that that idea of like, okay, so can do this here's an outline of the story and here's the cool extra things we could bundle in for people and yeah make it worth mm -hmm. their while outside of just running the story um, except yeah. i don't know about anyone else but i own so many splat books that i'll never run um, yeah I, I don't talk about those kinds of things it's uh yeah. <laughs> doesn't bear thinking about let alone talking about but I'll, I'll buy a 20 pound book if it's got an extra couple of classes or archetypes in it that i can pull out and use in a an adventure of my own crafting like that so do you um do you run your adventures for people yourselves or do you like other people run them what's your what's your preference on that in terms of the adventures we're writing yeah or, or when oh, you yeah. have written adventures or is it all nda restricted um no we do um, we'll have like sort of play test groups and things like that especially if we're making any iterations on rules for anything we're working on and we always want to be playing through them and things like that um, I don't currently have like a local group I can do that with, so I mostly like kick my stuff off, and they'll have a, a look through it, and they might play it. Um, I know Cubicle Seven have like multiple regular games going on, <laughs> um, and they're pretty good. Um, you can, um, they've offered before, like, oh hey, if you wanna, you can just like, you know, call it in the conference call, and we'll like stream it, like, so you can, like, <laughs> see how things are going. I like the um, idea of a conference call to play a game. That's yeah, that's that's the, in the boardroom. Yeah, that's the industry, you know. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely we we try to to get some some good playtime out of anything we're writing because you 
got to got to run your own stuff and see if it flies. For sure. So when can uh, we expect to see the Age of Sigmar roleplay and Wrath and Glory out in the wild? Uh, I don't think I can talk any release dates. Um, if you check the Cubicle 7 websites and Twitter and other social media things, um, I think they'll have release dates up there, um, but I don't want to say anything because I can't quite find the dates to my... <laughs> Drop yourself I in it. <laughs> terrible with dates um, when it comes to launch things. As soon as you try to utter a date, the Cubicle 7 swats will come in and take it away. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> expects Cubicle 7! <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they might, yeah. who knows. No, I, I, if, I, if I remembered them, like, I'm pretty sure there's there's launch dates for both of them. I literally just don't remember them. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to incriminate yourself, which is understandable. Understandable. Um, and as far as uh, people that are in- interested in Digisprite and what Digisprite are up to, where should they go to find out more about that? Uh, well, you can find us um, on our website, which is um, just digisprite.co.uk, I believe. Um, you can also catch us. We're, we're quite active on Twitter. Um, I believe it's Team Digisprite uh, on Twitter as well. That's probably where we do our most stuff. We're always like posting up new art from the games or... Pictures of us looking tired and goofy behind stalls, and <laughs> selling copies of, of our various games. Great. Elaine, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all. And for all of our listeners, wherever you are, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.